Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I'm Brother Christopher assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be The Tale of Two Minds. Brothers and sisters, the tale of two minds. Within our nature is an internal war revealed within the scriptures. Brothers and sisters, today we will utilize the Bible to not only identify that struggle, but learn to overcome it. Let's go to Romans, the 7th chapter, the 14th through the, 24, uh, the 21st verse. Romans 7 and 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Brothers and sisters, in the following verses, the, the battle of the, the flesh and the spirit is presented. Let's take a look at this one more time. Read that one more time, brother, verse 14. Romans 7 and 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. What is spiritual? The law is spiritual. So Paul affirms that the law is not his problem. But I am carnal, sold under sin. See, continue. Verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not not. But what I hate, that do I. Look at this. Paul is writing this in the present tense, brothers and sisters, addressing his present condition. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For the things that I do are the things that I don't want to. For what I would. The things that I want to do. That do I not. I'm not doing. But what I hate. The things that I hate. That do I. Look at this. Look at this battle here, brothers and sisters. Continue. If then I do that which I would not. If I do that which I don't want to. I consent unto the law that is it good. So look at that, brothers and sisters. The fact that he doesn't like his own behavior is evidence of his desire to acquiesce. You see that? <laughs> he said, I consent unto the law that it is good. How do we know? Because he's addressing his behavior. See? Read 17, brother, please. Romans 7 and 17. Now then it is no more that, I, that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Read 16, brother, please. Verse 16. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Look at that. Paul explains the problem by metaphorically splitting the person in two, brothers and sisters. He said, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So let's take a look at this, brothers and sisters. Let's take a look at this, okay? Read verse 18, brother, please. Verse 18. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So look at this. The sin within him is hijacking him, making him do things he wouldn't do otherwise. Brothers and sisters, so the willing is present, but the doing is not. Read that one more time, brother, please. Romans 7 and 18. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. That's the first thing you must know. If you're going to be a servant under the Most High, you must recognize what's in your flesh and what is not. And what is not in your flesh is any good thing, brothers and sisters. Your flesh is inherently, naturally evil. Continue. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Now, when we say you're inherently evil, how do we know? Why would we say that? Brothers and sisters, who taught you how to lie? 
Who taught you how to steal? Exactly. Nobody had to teach you how to steal. Nobody had to teach you how to lie. It's, it's within you. Nobody taught you how to do those things. See, brothers and sisters, it's already naturally there. Read 19, brother, please. Romans 7 and 19. For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Continue. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Look at this. Even when doing good, evil is present. Sin is always lurking nearby. Remember, the Most High told Cain, sin crouches at the door. <laughs> See? Sin crouches at the door. Continue. Verse 22. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Read that again, brethren. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members. See a what? I see another law in my members. Look at this. He calls it a law, brothers and sisters. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So, brothers and sisters, the evil propensity of our nature, the apostle calls a law, right? Or a principle because of its permanence. So, Paul here reveals a real dichotomy, which we all suffer as believers, brothers and sisters. Okay? And what is that? Read 21, brother, please. Romans 7 and 21. I find then a law that when I would do good... Evil is present with me. Now that's key, brothers and sisters, okay? That is key. That is key. Let's go to Psalms 103 and 13. Follow us, brothers and sisters. Psalms 103 and 13. Psalms 103 and 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Brothers and sisters, according to the psalmist, the most high is cognizant of the nature or, or the disposition of man. The text highlights that the most high recognizes the, the natural yet sinful inclinations of man's heart. Can you read that one more time, brother? Because verse 14, that, that's the key verse. Verse 14, for he knoweth our frame. Brothers and sisters, that word frame is the Hebrew H33. Three six, brothers and sisters. So that's three 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 six, and it means what, brothers and sisters? Framework. So he's saying he knows our mental framework, our front, our our spiritual anatomy, and he's saying that our spiritual anatomy makes us potentially, our spiritual anatomy makes us potentially sinful, brothers and sisters. Okay, so right away he said, "What? Read that one more time, brother, from the top." Psalms 103 and 13, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. See, so the Most High has, has had mercy on man because he knows his evil inclinations. He said he remembers that we are dust. What does that mean, brothers and sisters? What does that mean? Remember, the Most High cursed the ground. <laughs> Remember that? Remember, he cursed the ground in Genesis. After the sin, in Genesis 3. 
And then he remembers, he says, remember, you're ground, you're dust, you're the same thing that I curse. You come from the same thing that I curse, the ground. You see that, brothers and sisters? So he said, I know there's an evil inclination in you because I curse the ground. <laughs> see? Brothers and sisters, we're going to go to the 12 patriarchs. There's a Hebrew record in the pseudepigrapha of the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. Any scholar would know about it. The pseudepigrapha. It has what is called the 12 patriarchs, which were before the Bible was compiled. We had records, brothers and sisters. Israel had 12 sons. And there's 12 sons wrote a record to their 12 sons to forewarn them uh, of the, the pitfalls, the snares that he, the father, have encountered in what may be an obstacle for his son or his sons going forward, brothers and sisters. So we're going to go to the 12 patriarchs, the book of Asher, brothers and sisters, chapter one. And we're going to have brother uh, Christopher read three through three through nine, brothers and sisters. OK. Asher one and three. Two ways have God given to the sons of men and two inclinations and two kinds of action, and four two modes of action, and two issues. Therefore, all things are by twos, one over against the five other. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Man was created with two opposing inclinations, one impelling him towards the good and the other towards the evil. Let's read three again, brother, please. Three. Two ways have God given to the sons of men, and two inclinations. Two inclinations. And two kinds of action, and four two modes of action, and two issues. Therefore, all things are by twos, one over against the five other. For there are two ways of good and evil, and with these are the two inclinations in our six breasts discriminating them. So that six is the, the number of the next verse. Okay. Therefore, if the soul take pleasure in the good inclination. Listen to this. If the soul take pleasure. So where do you feel pleasure? In the soul. If it take pleasure where? In the good inclination. All its actions are in righteousness. Look at that. See that? <laughs> what do you take pleasure in doing? Because he's telling you, you can even do good and it be wrong. It's called a dead work. <laughs> because why? You're doing it, but you don't take pleasure in doing what's right for God. You hate doing what's right, even though you're doing it, which means even though you're doing what's right, you're still wrong. See that, brothers and sisters? That's why he said there's two ways of good and evil. <laughs> See, there's a there's a way of good that's acceptable and there's a way of good that's unacceptable. See, there's levels to this thing, brothers and sisters. Continue. All his actions are in righteousness. And if it's sin, it's straightway repented. For having its thoughts set upon righteousness and casting away wickedness. Look at this. So even when even when this inclination is to sin, when it sins, he repent right away. See that? Continue. And casting away wickedness. Now, I want to say this, brothers and sisters. The possession of two inclinations creates a dangerous ethical duality. And this is what we'll learn about today. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, when we when we read verse seven, according to the text, Asher re reveals that this duality may be avoided by rooting out the inclination on the level of thought. Let's listen to this. For having his thoughts set up on righteousness and casting away wickedness, 
it straightway overthroweth the evil and uprooteth the sin. Look at that, brothers and sisters. According to the text, how can the evil predilection be overcome? Read to verse 7 again, brother, please. All its actions are in righteousness, and if its sin is straightway repentant, for having its thoughts set upon righteousness. Having its thoughts set upon righteousness. And casting away wickedness. See that? That's how you cast away wickedness. It straightway overthroweth the evil. See that? Because your thoughts were on righteousness, it cast away the wickedness and you're able to overthrow the evil. It begins on the thought level, brothers and sisters. See that? So, so left to itself, this predilection would prompt us to act in a manner contrary to the will of God, brothers and sisters. Okay? You have to control your thoughts. This is something young men learn as they're getting older. You can't just let any thought come into your mind. Okay? When you start opening yourself up with that yoga and all that, and you just open yourself up, a spirit is going to come in. That you're going to open yourself up to a spirit. Continue, brother. For having its thoughts set upon righteousness and casting away wickedness, it straightway overthroweth the evil and uprooteth the sin. But if it incline to the evil inclination, all its actions are in wickedness, and it driveth away the good and cleaveth to the evil and is ruled by Beliar. Which is Satan. Even though it worked what is good. Look at this. Even though it does what's good. He perverted it to evil. See that? So even doing good, which is the law, <laughs> can be done in an evil way. You see that, brothers and sisters? So it's clear. Mastery over thought is the only way to subdue this predisposition. Let's just go forward, brother. Let's go, let's go to James 1 and 14. Followers, brothers and sisters, we're going back into your into your regular Bibles, brothers and sisters. We're going back into your regular Bibles. Go to the New Testament. We're, we're going to leave the 12 patriarchs, brothers and sisters. That was what Asher left his sons. Who are Asher today? The oil-rich uh, countries like uh, Bolivia, uh, Colombia, um, all these areas. Uh, all the oil-rich company uh, countries, brothers and sisters, uh, down in South America. So those would be Asher. Those would be Asher today, brothers and sisters. And Asher left that record for his sons. All of his sons had that record, had access to that particular record on what the father had not only learned through his life, but what he wanted to pass down to his progeny, brothers and sisters. Follow us to James, the first chapter, the 14th and the 15th verse. Because we just learned about that predilection. James 1 and 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Look at that. We're lured away from God by our own desires. Brothers and sisters, the, the source of all temptation is found in the man himself. Let's read that again. Verse 14, please. James 1 and 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Of what? Of his own lust and enticed. See, so the source of the solicitation of sin has its residence where? In the heart of man. Continue, brother. Verse 15. 
Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Mm. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So lust has a child named sin. And when sin grows to full age, it has a baby named death, brothers and sisters. We're seeing it, clo we're seeing it clearly that sin grows up and produces death, brothers and sisters. See, and this is what Asher was talking about. Okay, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust, which means what? What may tempt one man may not tempt another. You see that? And it also tells you what? You can only be tempted with things you actually want. So go examine what? Go examine Matthew 4 again, how Satan tempted Christ and what he was tempting Christ. He tempted him with bread after 40 days of not eating. You see that? Why? Because you can't, you can't, you can't tempt me to eat a bowl full of gravel. Why? Because that's not something I'm interested in. <laughs> See, I'm not attracted to eating gravel. See? So you can only be tempted by things you actually have interest in, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Wisdom of Solomon, brother. Let's go to the Apocrypha. Wisdom of Solomon, the first chapter, the 13th and the 14th verse. Wisdom of Solomon, 1 and 13. For God made not death, neither hath he pleasure in the destruction of the living. For he created all things, that they might have their being. And the generations of the world were healthful. And there is no poison of destruction in them, nor the kingdom of death upon the earth. Brothers and sisters, the author takes pain to set a clear line of demarcation between God's creation and death. Can you read that from the top, brother? Verse, uh, verse 14. Wisdom of Solomon 1 and 14. For he created all things that they might have their being, and the generations of the world were healthful, and there is no poison of destruction in them, nor the kingdom of death upon the earth. For righteousness is immortal, but ungodly men with their works and words caught it to them. For when they thought to have it their friend, they consumed to not. What is this referring to, brothers and sisters? Jump back to verse 13, just in case you missed it. Verse 13. For God made not death. He said God did not make death. Neither hath he pleasure in the destruction of the living. See, so sin brought death into the world as a consequence. God did not make death, right? As it's saying here. Right? He didn't give it power, rather. Okay, brothers and sisters? Continue. Verse 14. For he created all things that they might have their being. So it's clear, brothers and sisters, death was made without the ability to kill. Though it existed, it had no power to harm without sin. So he's telling you, God made not death as we know it. Neither hath he pleasure in the destruction of any living. That's Jew or Gentiles, right? Jump to verse 16 now, brother. Wisdom of Solomon 1 and 16. Because remember, he said that God made not death, neither did he have pleasure in the destruction of the living. But ungodly men with their works and words caught it to them. Called what to them? Called death to them. For when they thought to have it their friend, they consumed to not and made a covenant with it because they are worthy to take part. They're with it. worthy to take part in death, brothers and sisters. 
So it said their works and words. So what you say can call death unto you, brothers and sisters. And our brothers have to be very careful with that hip-hop music. Because those very things that we speak on wax, they end up happening to these brothers every single time. Every single time, brothers and sisters. You're calling it to you. Go to Genesis 4, brother. Go to Genesis 4 and 7. Because he told Adam, if you disobey me, Adam, you give death the power to kill you. And that's what Solomon was just telling us. Okay? The Most High did not create death with the power to kill. Genesis 4 and 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. According to the text, sin's desire is always lurking within man's moral and ethical choices. Brothers and sisters, look at what God says here. Look at the statement that's made. Genesis 4 and 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. See that? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. God likens sin to a beast outside the door, waiting for its victim to emerge, brothers and sisters. Sin, by its very nature, does not want to be controlled. It wants to be in control. And this is what the Most High was saying. It said, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And it says, unto thee shall be his desire. His desire to do what? Overcome you, overthrow you, subjugate you. So according to the author, to rule over or to dominate sin is a necessity for spiritual survival, brothers and sisters. And unto thee shall be his desire, but thou shalt rule over him. So the Most High perceived in Cain a strong predilection to sin, brothers and sisters. That's why he told Cain, why are you angry? If you do the right thing, shall you not be accepted? Which means what? It was because he wasn't accepted by God that he became angry with his brother. See this? It's the same thing we see today. When your light shines on their darkness, automatically some level of indignation rises in them. Even in your family, brothers and sisters. It makes them uncomfortable, brothers and sisters. And this is why we're seeing it here. Let's go to Genesis 6 and 5. Just a few chapters. Genesis 6 and 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Now remember, Asher told us that man had two predilections. Right? See that? And now we're learning about it. Because in this text, God gives his reason for the imminent destruction of mankind by water. Let's read that again, brother. Verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. It was what? Great in the earth. And? And that every imagination. Look at that. His predilections, his imagination. 
Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. See that? So here the evil nature of man's inclinations emerges as the cause for the divine judgment. See that, brothers and sisters? It said that man had given himself only to the evil inclination. It now was not even a battle. It wasn't a battle anymore. So in consideration of this immoral inclination, a judgment soon pursued, brothers and sisters. So this destructive pathogen acted as a precursor to the Most High's judgment, brothers and sisters. It said that now his inclination had become evil continually. See that? With no conscience to doing right. See that, brothers and sisters? Let's go to Genesis 8 and 21. Read that for us, brother, please. Genesis 8 and 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for at, man's sake. See that, brothers and sisters? For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every being living, now, as I have done. Now, what is it, what's going on here, brothers and sisters? This is after Noah and the flood. Okay, brothers and sisters? So, so look at this. Now Noah has done what? Noah has made an altar unto the Most High. But we really want you to examine this text because Genesis 6 and 5, this, this is the predilection. That predilection is the cause of God's judgment. But in 821, it's the grounds of his mercy. So look at this. The same predilection that was evil continuously in 6 and 5 is the same reason that he did what, brothers and sisters? He had mercy in 8 and 21. Let's take a look at this one more time. Let's read that, brother, because here we see this natural predisposition warranted God's unmerited mercy in chapter 8. Genesis 8 and 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's hearts is evil. See that? For there he goes again with his inclination. the the imagination The imagination of his heart is evil. Imagination of his man's heart is evil from his youth. From his youth, from birth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living, as I have done. See, so here we see the Most High limiting himself for the sake of humanity. See. So the text indicates that the inclination takes root early in life, establishing a permanent residency in the heart. So we see in Genesis 6 and 5 that very thing <laughs> that was the cause of his judgment was the cause of his mercy, brothers and sisters, because he knows how hard it is for us. He knows the struggle for us. That's what Psalms told us. He knows the framework. He knows our mental makeup, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus 17 and 16. Let's go to the Apocrypha, brothers and sisters. We'll have Brother Christopher read verse 16. Ecclesiasticus 17 and 16. Every man from his youth is given to evil. Neither could they make to themselves fleshy hearts for stoning. Here we see that this truculent predispositional predilection begins in adolescence, brothers and sisters. How many men, brother? 
Every man from his youth is given to evil. See, so the author teaches that man will continue to harbor evil intentions from his youth throughout his life, brothers and sisters. Neither could they make to themselves fleshy hearts for stoning. Hard hearted. That's what this is talking about, brothers and sisters. So the elimination of this perpetual proclivity is beyond man's government. It said, neither could they make themselves fleshy hearts for stoning. See that, brothers and sisters? Every man from his youth is given to evil. It's natural, brothers and sisters. Who taught you how to lie? Who taught you how to steal? Okay? See that, brothers and sisters? So you have to recognize this. The tale of two minds, brothers and sisters. See that? So this is the one, just your natural inclination. If you let your, if you let your thoughts loose, if you just want to live naturally without any restrictions, this is the, this is your path to evil. If you live without any restrictions, you'll end up on the path of darkness. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus 27, same book, just a different chapter, 27 and 5. Ecclesiasticus 27 and 5. The furnace proveth the potter's vessels, so the trial of man is in his reasoning. In his what? In his reasoning. In his thinking, in his reasoning, thoughts precede action, and therefore resistance must be formulated in the thoughts, brothers and sisters. Can you read that again, brother? The furnace proveth the potter's vessels, so the trial of man is in his reasoning. The fruit declareth if the tree have been dressed. So is the utterance of conceit in the heart of a man. Brothers and sisters, the author teaches us that action is never independent of thought. Read verse 5 one more time, brother. Because a man is according to his thought. Because conscious thought is the predecessor to action. Ecclesiasticus 27 and 5. The furnace proveth the potter's vessel. So he's telling you, how do you prove a potter's vessel? Through the furnace. So the trial of man is in his reasoning. How do you prove a man? <laughs> do you see that, brothers and sisters? How do you prove how a man thinks? Is in his trial, is in trials, brothers and sisters. Continue, brother. Verse 6. The fruit declareth if the tree have been dressed. See that? So he's saying what comes from it tells us what came before. The fruit that come from that tree tell us if it was pruned, <laughs> if it was circumcised. See that? So he's saying, we're going to look at the fruit to let us know if you were circumcised. See? Continue. So is the utterance of a conceit in the heart of men. See? So the action is only the expression of conscious thought, brothers and sisters. The, the root is the thought. The fruit is the action. So it said the fruit declare if the tree have been dressed. So the fruit is what you've done. The fruit determines or distinguishes or reveals what came as a root, brothers and sisters. So we can look at the action and understand the thought that preceded it. Okay, brothers and sisters, nobody does an action. Nobody robs a person without thinking about doing it. Nobody jumps, you know, off a, a building without thinking about doing it. Nobody ties their shoe without thinking about doing it first. So the thought comes first. So you have to get it on a thought level. 
brothers and sisters. Let's go to Matthew 7 and 16, brothers and sisters. Let's go to the gospel. Matthew, the seventh chapter, where our brother Christopher read the 16th through the 18th verse. Matthew 7 and 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Brothers and sisters, examine the text again because production is not the dispute. Okay, let's read it again. Read verse 17, brother. How do we know production is not the dispute of this text? Matthew 7 and 17. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Every tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. See that? So even the corrupt tree bring forth fruit. Everything in nature produces or reproduces after its kind, brothers and sisters. And this is also true in the spiritual realm. See, so you're producing some fruit. It's not the fruit that makes the tree good, but the tree that makes the fruit good. Read that one more time, brother, please. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Read it. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. See, so it's not the fruit that makes the tree good, but the tree that makes the fruit good, brothers and sisters. The fruit is indicative of the tree. You see this, brothers and sisters? This is absolutely vital. Because why? The text is telling you, you're bringing forth some type of fruit. What type of fruit is it? See? Everybody have fruit. We need to know what fruit it is. Let's go to Isaiah 5 and 20, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Isaiah, the fifth chapter. We're going to have Brother Christopher read the 20th verse. Isaiah 5 and 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Brothers and sisters, examine Isaiah's proclamation to the Judeans. Can you read that one more time? Verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good. And good evil. See that? So a curse falls on those who substitute individual preferences and ethical compromises for absolute truths, brothers and sisters. Read that again, please, brother. Isaiah 5 and 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The one who chooses evil over good, bitterness over sweetness, will experience the painful consequences of their choices, brothers and sisters. The modern conscious has been twisted and distorted so badly that it's difficult to even tell what is genuine here. It tells you, cursed are those who call evil good and good evil. This is where we are, brothers and sisters, where people don't even know left and right. They don't even know right and wrong anymore. This is where we are, brothers and sisters. Where most people now are only feeding in to that inclination of evil. It's not even a battle, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Lamentations. A book that we don't go to much. 
Lamentations, the fifth chapter, the seventh verse. Lamentations 5 and 7. Our fathers have sinned and are not, and we have borne their iniquities. Brothers and sisters, the implication is that children are akin to their parents. You see that? A new generation will tend to repeat the sins of their forefathers. That's what we're seeing here. Read that one more time, brother. Lamentations 5 and 7. Our fathers have sinned and are not, and we have borne their iniquities. Look at this. It said our fathers have sinned and are not. We have borne their iniquities. What's iniquity? Invisible sin. So it's saying the part that's in the heart that led to the sin, the physical part. So, brothers and sisters, if we understand how our lives are influenced by our forefathers, we can respond appropriately to that influence. Okay? The Bible teaches that we are susceptible to our forefathers' areas of weakness and therefore should be aware of these inclinations, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, please, Brother Christopher. Lamentations 5 and 7. Our fathers have sinned and are not. And we have borne their iniquities. So because we are a physical progeny of our ancestors, we are deeply influenced by their decisions, brothers and sisters. And, and that's vital that we know that. That's absolutely vital. Let's go to Hosea 6 and 4. Let's go there, brothers and sisters. Follow us. Hosea, the sixth chapter, the fourth verse. Now, in this text, the text is going to refer to Ephraim and Judah. Ephraim is the king of the northern kingdom. Judah was the king of the southern kingdom. So it's referring to all 12 tribes in this text, brothers and sisters. Hosea 6 and 4. Oh, Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? Oh, northern tribes, native tribes, Hispanic tribes, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, O Negro tribes, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew it goeth away. The devotion that we sometimes have passeth away as a morning cloud and as an early dew, brothers and sisters. This is what God is teaching us. Our people have a proclivity to be whimsical and unreliable. Read that one more time, please, brother. Hosea 6 and 4. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew, it goeth away. See, so we're so erratic and unpredictable, brothers and sisters. Our people are historically fickle. It's almost puzzling, brothers and sisters. It's an absolute nefarious act. He's telling you that our people are so whimsical. Our goodness is like the morning cloud, that it, it goes away, it dissipates. <laughs> you know, it's there for, for a little while and then it disappears for the rest of the day. And it's as a morning cloud, brothers and sisters, it goes away, which means what, brothers and sisters? Most of the day, there is no cloud. <laughs> See, so he's telling you most of the time you're doing the wrong thing. Sometimes you're good, <laughs> but most of the time you're doing the wrong thing. So let's take a look at this, brothers and sisters, because why? We just learned that we had to examine our forefathers to know what some of our weaknesses may possibly be. Let's go to Joshua 24 and 15. Let's go all the way back. Joshua 24 and 15. 
And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Brothers and sisters, here the author challenges the Israelites to choose whom they shall follow. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Look at this, brothers and sisters. It is possible for us to fall into the trap of misplaced allegiance. Let's take a look at this again. Can you read that again? Joshua 24 and 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. Look at that. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. So our people, brothers and sisters, we have a history of submitting only when convenient. Take a listen to this. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Now let's deal with that because he said what, brother? Choose you this day whom you will serve. You will serve. See that? He didn't say choose if you shall serve. Choose whom you shall serve. Because there's an inclination within us, brothers and sisters, to serve. That's why Christ said, man cannot serve two masters. You're going to serve somebody. See that? So there, that's part of that inclination. God created man to serve. So you either serve God or you serve Satan, which is a.k.a. your flesh. And what we're seeing also in this text is that selective obedience is egregious, brothers and sisters. We must not do as most do, but as the best do. Let's read that one more time. Joshua 24 and 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. But don't try to play, don't try to try to play the fence here. That fence belongs to Satan. That fence is on Satan's property. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood. Or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See that? Let's go to Isaiah 48. Because here you're seeing the other inclination. <laughs> you see, they were both there. He, you saw Joshua, which inclination he decided to follow. See? Let's go to Isaiah 48 and 1. Isaiah 48 and 1. What's that say, brother? Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. Brothers and sisters, the Judeans should take notice of this opening statement. The Most High God has a serious complaint against his people. Let's read that again, please. Verse 1. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord. They swear, you swear that you know the name of the Most High, that you are the people of the Most High. And make mention of the God of Israel. See that? The God of Israel. You say that God is our God, the God of Israel. But not in truth, nor in righteousness. See that? So the text provides a criticism for identifying as God's chosen, but refusing to live by his standards. Brothers and sisters, continue to read, please. Verse 2. For they call themselves of the holy city, and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. 
The Lord of hosts is his name. Look at this. Our people's chief failing was that we honored the Most High with our words, but not with our conduct. Brothers and sisters, Isaiah complains that Israel simply continues with the external formalities of religion. Let's read that one more time, brother, from the top. Isaiah 48 and 1. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name we of the Lord. We swear by the name of the Most High. And make mention of the God of Israel. We say with the people of God. But not in truth, nor in righteousness. Continue. For they call themselves of the holy city. We say we're God's people. And stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. See that? So brothers and sisters, Isaiah knew that most Israelites would draw near to the Most High with their lips while having their hearts far from him. See? Isaiah 48 gives us a, a chilling reminder that it's easy to be a hypocrite or a religious pretender. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Ezekiel 33 and 31. We'll have Brother Christopher read 31 and 32. Ezekiel 33 and 31. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. What Ezekiel describes, the perfunctory disposition that frequently happens amongst our people, brothers and sisters. Listen to this one more time. Can you read that, brother? Because according to Ezekiel, we love to hear the interpretation of Scripture, but ignore the application of Scripture. Ezekiel 33 and 31. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words. But they will not do them, for with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. See that? So the author teaches us that divine revelation demands a determinative response, brothers and sisters. Continue. Verse 32. And, lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice, and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they not do them. So we love to hear the song, but don't want to dance the dance, brothers and sisters. He's telling you that they enjoy, or really we enjoy, listening to God's words, but we're not receiving the message in the words, brothers and sisters. See, he said it's just like hearing a lovely song. It's, 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 they're not convinced enough to quit their sins. So it's just, a song doesn't really change your life. You know, you like to hear it, nice song. You know, you bop your head to it, but are you going to change your life because of it? No. See? So he said, you're looking at this as entertainment. <laughs> you, you, you use the Bible for entertainment purposes. Not for ethical and moral purposes. Read that from the top, please, brother. Ezekiel 33 and 31. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people. And they hear thy words, but they will not do them. See, so the author teaches us that we love to gain the intellectual knowledge of the Bible without obeying it. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. See, so he emphasizes that our outward appearance and our inward disposition are far different. 
we come as the people come. We sit before him as his people. We hear the words, but we won't do it. See that? Let's go to Jeremiah 13 and 10. Brothers and sisters. Jeremiah, the 13th chapter, the 10th and the 11th verse. Jeremiah 13 and 10. This evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their heart and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them shall even be as this girdle, which is good for nothing. For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord. Brothers and sisters, our truculent attitude of negligence rendered us useless and unserviceable to God. Can you can you read verse 10 one more time, brother? Jeremiah 13 and 10. This evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their heart and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them shall even be as this girdle, which is good for nothing. See that our negligence has rendered us unserviceable, brothers and sisters. Okay, here again, he highlights our proclivity to be led by our evil inclinations devoid of any resistance, brothers and sisters. He said, you're good for nothing, which walk in the imagination or the inclination of their heart. See that? So if you're being led by the evil inclination of your heart, you're good for nothing, according to God. Read verse 11, brother, please. Jeremiah 13 and 11. For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I cause to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people, and for a name, and for a praise, and for a glory. But they would not hear. See that? The text teaches that we denied ourselves no gratification that we had in mind. See that, brothers and sisters, good for nothing. Just being led by the evil inclination, not even battling, not even trying. See? Go to Deuteronomy, brother, 9 and 24. Followers, brothers and sisters, please. The title of today's lesson is The Tale of Two Minds. There's two minds within us, brothers and sisters. Deuteronomy 9 and 24. Ye have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I had knew you. Thus I fell down before the Lord forty days and forty nights, as I fell down at the first, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. The author highlights the rebellious nature of Israel since our inception, brothers and sisters. He highlights our persistent refusal to comply. Read that again, brother, from the top, please, because... He highlights how dogged, how truculent we are in our defiance. Deuteronomy 9 and 24. Ye have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. From the day that I knew you. Thus I fell down before the Lord forty days and forty nights, as I fell down at the first. Because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Moses said, ever since I've known you, the most I've been trying to destroy you. For your rebelliousness. See that brothers and sisters. He's pointing something out in us. 
verse 26. Actually, let's go to Jeremiah 5, brother. Let's go to Jeremiah, the fifth chapter. We're going to have Brother Christopher read 1 through 4. Jeremiah 5 and 1. Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek in the broad places thereof. If ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. And though they say, The Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. Brothers and sisters, here the Most High takes a spiritual audit of our nation. None could be found. Look, look at this. Read verse 1 again, brother. Because none could be found who behaved as upright and godly men. Jeremiah 5 and 1. Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek in the broad places thereof. If ye can find a man. If you can find what? If ye can find a man, and there be any that executeth judgment. Righteous judgment, which means calls out evil for evil. That seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. And though they say, the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. Where are the men who take the lead and responsibility to uphold righteousness, brothers and sisters? God is looking for men to change the earth. Okay, read, brother, verse 3, please. Verse 3, O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Look at this, he's saying, we've been struck and we refuse to grieve. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. The more we get struck, the more we refuse. The more we buck back, brothers and sisters. Look at this. Continue. Verse 4. Therefore I said, surely these are poor. They are foolish. For they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. I will get me unto the great men, and will speak unto them. For they have known the way of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we just wanted to show you. Read 2 one more time, brother. Jeremiah 5 and 2. And though they say, the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. Though we say our God is the God of all gods, based on our behavior, we swear falsely. You see that, brothers and sisters? You see that? Because why? Your behavior doesn't say that God lives. So we will make the proclamation of belief, but the conduct proves what? It proves perjury, brothers and sisters. Okay? Most of our people are only nominal professors, hypocritical worshipers, brothers and sisters. Read that, brother, please. Isaiah 1 and 5. Why should ye be stricken anymore? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. Isaiah's point is that the most high's rod of correction has not succeeded. Read that again, brother, please. Isaiah 1 and 5. Why should ye be stricken anymore? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick 
in the whole heart thing. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Israel is sick, disease from top to bottom. The Most High describes us as totally cancerous with sin, brothers and sisters. Continue. Verse 6. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. See that? So this is where our disobedience and lack of submission has brought us, brothers and sisters. Sin has brought us great afflictions. However, according to the text, we still prefer sin with all of its turbulence, brothers and sisters. Israel is battered, bruised, and bleeding because of our truculent attitude, as Isaiah teaches us. Brothers and sisters, we're going to stay in the book of Isaiah, but we're going to go to Isaiah 10 and 5. We're going from Isaiah 1 and 5 to Isaiah 10 and 5, brothers and sisters. Isaiah 10 and 5. O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger. The rod of my anger. And the staff in their hand is my indignation. He said the staff in their hand is my indignation. He sent the Assyrians against us. Continue. Verse 6, I will send him against an hypocritical nation, and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge, to take the spoil, and to take the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Look at that. So the author teaches us that hypocrisy attracts the gravitational pull of God's wrath. You see that? He said, I will send the Assyrians as, as the rod of my indignation against a hypocritical nation. You see that, brothers and sisters? See that? So he sent the Assyrians against us. He sent the white man against us. He sent the, all of these nations against us, brothers and sisters. Let's go to the Apocrypha. Go to Ecclesiasticus, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, the first chapter, the 29th and the 30th verses. These are the last two scriptures in this chapter. Ecclesiasticus 1 and 29. Be not a hypocrite in the sight of men, and take good heed what thou speakest. Brothers and sisters, hypocrisy is misrepresenting who and what we really are. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 29. Be not a hypocrite in the sight of men. And take good heed what thou speakest. According to the text, how other people perceive you does matter. Brothers and sisters, how do we know? Continue. Verse 30. Exalt not thyself, lest thou fall, and bring dishonor upon thy soul. And so God discovered thy secrets. Look at that, brothers and sisters. The author teaches us that hypocrisy is always followed by a public act of judgment. Read that again, brother, please. Ecclesiastes 1 and 30. Exalt not thyself, lest thou fall, and bring dishonor upon thy soul. Look at this. And so God discovered thy secret. God discovered what you're doing in secret. And cast thee down in the midst of the congregation. Cast thee down in the midst, in front of, before the congregation. Because thou camest not in truth to fear the of the Lord. But thy heart is full of deceit. So the author teaches us that hypocrisy is always followed by what? Public judgment. And guess what? It's public judgment because light is the best disinfectant. Brothers and sisters. So the author connects hypocrisy with pride. It also, it reveals a willful negligence. 
Be not a hypocrite in the sight of men and take good heed unto what you say. Because why? You can only be a hypocrite if it goes against what you say, brothers and sisters. <laughs> See, if a man say he's a thief, then hey, he's not being a hypocrite. Because he said he was a thief. But when you say you're a man of God, when you say you're a woman of God, now we're going to have to hold you accountable. See that? And the Bible says, if you continue to be negligent, what happens? He will reveal your secrets and cast you down with public judgment. Public judgment, brothers and sisters. Because why? Some, Most of us or a lot of us, that's the only thing we care about is what other people think. So since you only care about what other people think, your punishment, your judgment will be in front of other people. Because what happens? God talks to you in private before he starts showing you in public, brothers and sisters. It would behoove you to listen to God in private before he starts teaching you in public, brothers and sisters. God whispers before he yells, brothers and sisters. Respond while he's whispering. Let's go to James, brother. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to James, the fourth chapter, the 17th verse. James 4 and 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Read that one more time, brother, please. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good. To him that know to do good. And doeth it not, to him it is a sin. Knowledge of duty increases obligation to perform it. And the neglect of known duty is sin, according to the author, brothers and sisters. See that it is sin to know that a thing is right and yet leave it undone. And this is absolutely vital because why? The tale of two minds. Within you, brothers and sisters, there's two sides of each one of us. And guess what? It is un it's universally, brothers and sisters, it's universally true that if a man knows what's right and does not do it, he is guilty of sin. Let's read that one more time, brother, please. James 4 and 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Mm, so to refrain from breaking the law is not sufficient, brothers and sisters. The hard part isn't what not to do. The hard part is what is commanded to do. See that? <laughs> That's actually the hard part. To know what to do and yet not do it is sin. So when the Bible say let your let the sun don't let the sun go down on your wrath and you do that, that's called sin because you know what's right. When the Bible says forgive and you don't do that, that's sin. See that? Sin isn't just eating unclean food. Sin isn't just fornication. Sin isn't just smoking cigarettes. <laughs> sin is you not forgiving that brother or that sister. Sin is you not paying that debt to that brother on time, even though you had the money. See that? That's sin. This is called sin by omission. Yeah, sins by admission and sins by omission. So this is sin by not doing something. Let's go to Luke 12 and 47, brothers and sisters. Let's go to the gospel. Luke, the 12th chapter, the 47th verse. 
We'll read 47 and 48. We're going from James to Luke, brothers and sisters. Luke 12 and 47. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. Now remember, brothers and sisters, what did James tell us? Therefore unto him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, in unto him it is sin. Now what is Luke saying? Read that again, brother, please. Luke 12 and 47. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. This text carries a huge implication for understanding the justice of the Most High. Continue, brother. Verse 48. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. Look at this. According to the text, someone, someone will receive many stripes while others will receive few. You see this, brothers and sisters? Examine this. The determining factor is how much they knew. <laughs> Let's read it again, brother, please. Verse 48. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Guess what? If, if somebody, if your job gives you $10,000, right, and say, we need you to go buy, uh, you know, buy some uh, supplies. And, and, and then guess what? What if your job gives somebody else $100,000 and they want them to bring supplies? Who you think they're going to want more from? The 10000 brother, or the 100000 Exactly. So the parable provides a warning that knowledge and privilege always brings responsibility, brothers and sisters. See that? Christ here distinguishes between wicked servants and ignorant servants. We are accountable for what we know, according to these texts, brothers and sisters. The servant which knew the Lord's will and didn't prepare, he gets many stripes. Everybody's going to get stripes. So if you don't do what's right, you're going to get stripes irregardless. It's now the determining factor is how many stripes you're going to get. And that's determined based on your knowledge. See that? Let's go to Ecclesiastes 1 and 18, because I, I believe now we can understand this text. Ecclesiastes 1 and 18. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. See that? Here we read of the perceived benefit of willful ignorance. See? When you link that with Luke and see that, guess what? The man who, who um, is unaware of God's will will receive fewer stripes than the man who was aware of it, yet neglected it. Right? Why? Because knowledge makes the application of that, uh, that information compulsory. Let's read that one more time, brother. Ecclesiastes 1 and 18. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. See that, brothers and sisters? You see that? 
Information breeds a fight within the conscience. Now it's not ignorance, it's negligence, it's disobedience. See the difference? <laughs> See, that's why there's much grief in much wisdom. Because the more you learn about yourself, you're learning how unworthy you are, how much you have to grow, how much sin you still have. See that? So the Bible knows that once light is shared, now there's a fight within your conscience because you know right from wrong now. So now what was before ignorance is now negligence. It's now disobedience. See, that's where you get ignorance is bliss, brothers and sisters. <laughs> See? Let's take a look. Let's go to Romans 5 and 13, brother. Let's go to the New Testament now. Romans 5 and 13. Romans 5 and 13. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Brothers and sisters, one cannot break the law unless there's a law to be broken. That's what the author is telling us. Sin is not charged where there's no prohibition. Read that one more time, brother, please. For until the law, sin was in the world. So he's saying, until the law, there was sin in the world, even though there was no law. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. See that? So the establishment of law made us guilty by its transgression. Because guess what? Before there was a law to not murder, people were murdering. And it was still wrong, even though there was no law. But you can't hold a person accountable. So as long as I'm not cognizant of any prohibition, I can operate in my conscience without resistance. Do you see this? Read that again, brother, please. Romans 5 and 13. For unto the law, sin was in the world. Sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. But you weren't judged because there was no law. See, so as long as you're not you're not conscious of a law, then you can avoid that, that war within. See, so the apostle Paul teaches us that knowledge eliminates impunity. Once you're aware, now you're accountable. See? Let's go to Second Peter, the second chapter, the 20th verse, brothers and sisters. Second Peter 2 and 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. According to the author, you can only escape the gravitational pull of the world through submission. Read that one more time, brother, because there's something vital in this particular passage. Second Peter 2 and 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Mm, as indicated by the word of the Lord, this relapse is a greater evil than had you continued in your former state of ignorance. Brothers and sisters, you see that? So, yes, it can be worse actually having the truth. It can actually be worse than just being ignorant. 
See? Because why? Now you get many stripes because you knew better. See? Knowledge brings responsibility. Always, brothers and sisters. Read verse 21, please, brother. Second Peter 2 and 21. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of the righteousness. Then, after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Look at that. The principle taught in the text is that the possession of that knowledge makes us liable to a greater punishment, brothers and sisters. See that? A relapse is ever more dangerous than the first sickness. The more you know, the more severe you will be judged as Moses. See? As Jonah. As David. Okay? Let's go to Hebrews, brother, 6 and 4. Stay in the New Testament here, brothers and sisters. Hebrews, the 6th chapter, the 4th and 5th verse. We'll actually read 4 through 6. Hebrews 6 and 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. Look at this. He said it's impossible for those who were once enlightened who know the truth, yet walk away. If they fall away, they will not come back. Read verse 6 again, brother. Hebrews 6 and 6. If they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. He said it's impossible if they fall away to renew them again unto repentance. Seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh. And put him to an open shame. So look at that. It's telling you once you walk away, you don't come back. Okay, I've had many brothers say, well, we, we, you know, we need money to do this work. So I'm going to go get this money and bring it back. And I'm like, brother, we don't need your money. We need you. Okay. And guess what, brothers and sisters? I'm, we're still waiting on those brothers. <laughs> Years later. Years later. So once you go back out there, you don't come back. Because if you were if you were willing to walk away from this, if you were willing to walk away from this life, oh, you ain't coming back. Because nobody who's getting in puts their hand to the plow and then puts it down. Let's go to Isaiah 1 and 28, brothers and sisters. Isaiah, the first chapter, the 28th verse. Isaiah 1 and 28. And the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together. And they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. Look at that. Read that one more time. Because this text makes a distinction between a transgressor and a sinner. Let's take a look. Isaiah 1 and 28. And the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together. The transgressors are those who know the will of God, but don't do it, brothers and sisters. Okay? See that? So you know this is a yard, but you step on it. That's called trespassing, right? Transgressing, right? Infringing, right? 
and they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. So the sinners are they whom are ignorant of the will of God. See, so it says the destruction of transgressors and sinners shall be together, which show you that, that they're separate, brothers and sisters. So according to the biblical definition, these words, you know, there's a clear line of demarcation. A transgressor and a sinner are separate, brothers and sisters. Okay? Read that one more time, brother, please. Isaiah 1 and 28. And the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together. And they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. They that forsake the Most High shall be consumed. If you try to walk away from this, this is not something you can walk away from. Okay? This is not something you pick up and put down. Okay? If you put this down, you will be destroyed. Let's go to Proverbs 21 and 16, brother. Please. Proverbs, the 21st chapter. We're going to have Brother Christopher read the 16th verse. Proverbs 21 and 16. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Where shall he remain? In the congregation of the dead. The man that does what? The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding. Right there, brothers and sisters. We tend to wander as sheep, which means we don't even intentionally go out, brothers and sisters. See, and that's why this is a call for focus. See that, brothers and sisters, a call for vigilance against spiritual slumber, brothers and sisters. Because it says if you wander out of this way of understanding, what happens? You shall remain in the congregation of the dead. You don't come back. If you wander out, you will not come back. Period. According to God. No matter what you say. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus 15 and 14. And we're going to end it here. Brothers and sisters. Ecclesiasticus 15 and 14. Ecclesiasticus 15 and 14. What's that say, brother? He himself made man from the beginning and left him in the hand of his counsel. If thou wilt to keep the commandments and to perform acceptable faithfulness. Look at this, brothers and sisters. He said he, he made man and from the beginning he left him in the hand of his own counsel. To see what? Are you going to keep the commandments or not? You see that, brothers and sisters? Read the next scripture. Ecclesiasticus 15 and 15. If thou wilt to keep the commandments and to perform acceptable faithfulness. Continue. He hath set fire and water before thee. Stretch forth thy hand unto whether thou wilt. Before man is life and death. And whether him liketh shall be given him. Look at this. He said there's two options. You have water and fire. Water, baptism. No baptism, fire. You see that, brothers and sisters? So he's saying you either have the water, which is forgiveness, repentance, or fire. Before man is life and death. So which do you choose? Because you have to choose this life, brothers and sisters, either or. He's telling you, there's two inclinations. 
Whichever inclination you follow will lead here. Read verse 16 again, brother. Ecclesiasticus 15 and 16. He hath set fire and water before thee. Stretch forth thy hand unto whether thou wilt. Before man is life and death. And whether him liketh shall be given him. Brothers and sisters. In this particular passage, the Bible is teaching us that man have destiny decisions. And those decisions that are made for man, when we say man, that's male and female. Those decisions lead you to one of two places. To the fire or to the water, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, The Tale of Two Minds. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.